Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 105. The first words that come to mind for many are the sanctions that were put into place. For instance, China State Bank, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China halted issuance of confirmation letters of credit for the purchase of Russian commodities. Other measures included banning Russia from SWIFT, which was a pretty big move, and imposing restrictions on over $600 billion worth of Russian central bank reserves. Good morning. Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Sebastian Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. And I'm Annie Kovacevic, junior editor at Trade Finance Global. So here we are, Christmas time, and we're doing our roundup of 2022. Yeah, big year for us, isn't it? Well, I think a big year for the entire industry of trade, treasury, payments and supply chains. And I don't think I've met anyone that that's predicted everything that was going to or that did happen in 2022. I mean, look, for better or for worse, there was a lot that happened in the industry. I think to start off with, how about we do a bit of a roundup month by month? Let's work through chronologically. Absolutely. Let's go for it. January, what were the key themes for trade? Well, actually, I would argue that trade wasn't mentioned as much as it probably should have been in the COP26 talks, driving the sustainability and ESG agenda from COP26 held here in the UK in Glasgow was the way that the year started with the Glasgow Climate Pact and 34 countries and five public financial institutions committed to ending direct public support for international fossil fuel extraction by the end of 2022. I think there was a bit of a rebalancing of some of the commitments made in January, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that everyone delivered on what they wanted to and what was outlined, but I do think that at the time that we're recording now towards the end of the year, COP27, you know, there are some things that did come to the fore and some things that didn't. In terms of what was outlined, I think a lot's to look forward to. At the very least, following January 2022 and the conclusions and deliverables from COP26, we have seen things moving forward, whether it's the definitions or providing the definitions of sustainable trade finance, whether it's looking at principles for ESG investing, whether it's looking at how development banks can support and accelerate this green transition, particularly for developing economies. I think we've seen quite a lot and there'll be many more to come. The four key areas of climate action really lie around mitigation. How do we reduce emissions, adaption, How do we help those already impacted by climate change? And we've seen lots coming from Pakistan in COP27. Finance, how do we enable countries to deliver on their climate goals? And finally, collaboration, how do we work together to deal with those goals? Certainly. So, I mean, we kind of go from quite highs to definite lows. February 2022 brought the instigation of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. You know, this was a definitely an unprecedented development for the world. It had resounding repercussions for many. And, and obviously, first and foremost, it is a humanitarian issue. But obviously, for the trade finance industry and the community, there was definitely palpable impact. What were the key 
pieces that happened? What did the Russia-Ukraine conflict actually mean for trading commodity finance? Well, I mean, obviously, the first words that come to mind for many are the sanctions that were put into place. For instance, China State Bank, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China halted issuance of confirmation letters of credit for the purchase of Russian commodities. Other measures included banning Russia from SWIFT, which was a pretty big move, and imposing restrictions on over $600 billion worth of Russian central bank reserves. The key things that changed in terms of the approach to trade and how that meant for shipping logistics and on on a wider basis, the supply chain that really reverberated throughout the entire ecosystem, I think. Yeah, it really did. And I think we'll keep covering some of the key themes that continue to impact trade and supply chain finance. It doesn't seem right to just say Mm. this happened in February and that was it. And obviously, we can talk about the new world for trade finance in the current inflationary and interest rates and the impact that has on lending. I guess leaning on to March 2022, standards were probably one of the key themes, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, in the background, we've seen the development of standards for digital trade. And you'll remember the WTO World Trade Organization and the International Chamber of Commerce, ICC, published their first ever standards toolkit for paperless trade, drawing attention to the fact that there are already several different standards for digital trade, but many practitioners are either not aware of that they exist or don't know how to use them. If as an industry, we're really looking to make trade paperless, the first step is actually identifying the existing standards for trade digitization to help drive adoption, identify potential gaps and promote interoperability. I think we've seen the toolkit being translated into several languages as well, thanks to the ICDSI and the WTO, which has meant more people can access this information. I'm sure those standards will continue to develop, but I think the primary aim of the toolkit initially was just to map out what we have already, rather than potentially reinventing the wheel. So, uh, Annie, April 2022, what would you say were the key themes there? I mean, I guess going back on towards what I spoke about in pertaining to February 2022, in April, we really started to see discussion rise around oil and gas problems. I think this is when it became very prevalent that as a result of those sanctions against Russia, how dependent Europe specifically was, but kind of the world in general, was on Russian supply of gas. Large portions of the continent and the world really began experiencing sharp rising oil and energy prices, as much as, you know, an 85% increase in the UK. These energy prices also played, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but a massive role in the growing inflation rates that came round to bite everyone around August towards the end of the year. So these were the sort of headways that were happening during April 2022. Yeah, and I think it's interesting there because a lot of people uh, say that trade has gone back to pre-pandemic mm-hmm. levels, but actually the volumes haven't, the dollar values have, but that's probably attributed to high prices of commodities. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see if we can strip away that inflationary rate and look at the underlying trade commodities and to look at whether the volumes are changing. But obviously there's a wider piece, right, which is as a result of very expensive oil and gas, what does that actually mean? mean for trade and supply chains. Obviously, commodity traders trading on very thin margins anyway suddenly have a lot less room to play with. It's a real squeeze for the banks, for the traders and the producers. Obviously, some will benefit, some will profit off the volatility. That's the nature of of some of the businesses of those players. But the large majority will face huge squeezes, particularly on the bottom line as a result of those oil and gas problems. Right. So May 2022, we saw 
the collapse of a very large blockchain platform, WeTrade, said its final goodbye. Following economic uncertainty, that's really been a massive, I guess, thread throughout the past few years as a result of COVID-19. A lot of technological companies were up on the up and up over the past, you know, I guess, five, 10 years. And blockchain used to be somewhat of a buzzword a few years ago. But 2022, as I said, saw a lot of unprofitable technology companies beginning to struggle, raising the levels of capital that they had become accustomed to as a result of the popularity around them. And given other macroeconomic issues that had started to kind of show their faces throughout 2022, several tech companies then began laying off employees, shutting their doors altogether. And obviously, WeTrade was one of those companies that unfortunately had to say goodbye. There are several other firms in this space, including Bolero, Damica, Taolia, that also saw their existence altered through mergers and acquisitions. After we just experienced very recently some FTX problems at the time of this recording. So this is an issue that kind of has persisted throughout the year. And I think costing an eye forward, there might still be these lingering problems that we have with blockchain platforms. So it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. But May 2022 certainly proved to be quite a month for the trade finance industry. Absolutely. And it continued throughout the year. Back in 2019, Trade Finance Global published the Gartner hype cycle for what we believed was the rise, the fall, and then the steady line for blockchain in trade and receivables finance and how it would be adopted, really grow the hype piece, probably caused by an awful lot of VC investment. Obviously, as a result of both the pandemic and then what's been going on in capital markets. We've seen a lot less money flow into the space. We've seen a subsidence of VC cash into fintech more widely. It's not just a trade finance challenge. And that's really squeezed some of the fintechs who have been unable to prove their business models to profitability quickly or quick enough to keep investors happy. And that's left some problems. From a bank perspective, it's probably setting unrealistic expectations in the first place. And we've seen lots of banks really struggle and not be able to see the ROI that they were potentially promised from some of these startups or trade taxes, as we've called them throughout their life cycle. Inevitably, we've seen some good stuff. We have seen some mergers and acquisitions and real partnerships that have shown that by working together and partnering with other trade techs or partnering with other vertical fields, there can be a healthy, good business model which will ensure their survival. So an interesting month for trade tech, I think things grew a lot slower than than initially estimated. I mean, I think some people thought the pandemic was going to totally digitalize mm. and transform and remove all the paper and trade, but um, it didn't. So June 2022, I think Trade finance as an asset class was a theme we jotted around, probably because we covered a lot of material around trade finance as an asset class. And also, we thought, let's slot it in somewhere. Well, look, I think the problem with trade finance is it's it's short term, it's self-liquidating. And when you look at a pool of trade finance assets, it's a lot more complicated. You can't just wrap them up in a book and sell them as notes or securitize those assets and sell them down to the market. Obviously, that's the hope. And there are tons of companies and people out there trying to do that and doing that to a point. And there's a lot of work from the associations, the rating agencies, and some of the technology companies to try and do that. I think there are a few challenges. Number one, trade finance is complicated. It's really easy to compare a property in Glasgow with a flat in, in London. It's all kind of bricks and mortar, but uh, a 180-day soybean 
facility versus perhaps a slightly longer term revolving commodity facility that in a different part of the world with much higher risk, it's quite hard to bucket into one tranche and sell down into the market. So I think the key for developing trade finance as an asset classes is in part education and also in part providing the technology, the legal framework and the tools that allow the funds, the pension funds, the alternative investors, etc., to start pooling their money into this asset class. There's a lot of money sloshing around. But I mean, it's interesting now in a high interest rate environment. I mean, you know, historically, trade finance was a pretty good asset class with high single digit, low double digit returns. I think that's a real struggle now. And I think it's going to be even more of a struggle. So especially when we're talking about SME trade finance and trying to use secondary markets to get more money into the trade finance asset class, I think we'll continue to see more challenges. You read my mind, Depeche, because we go from one level of underrepresentation to another. In July, I think the big theme for us was SMEs. And obviously, we do a lot of our work. We share a lot of love um, and try and amplify the voices of SMEs here at Trade Finance Global. We kind of took a step back in July and looked at the trade finance landscape in Europe for small and medium-sized businesses. And kind of whilst we were doing that overview, we learned that Despite these high inflationary prices, hikes, record energy prices and geopolitical uncertainties, there was still a very big high demand for SMEs. It was on the rise, according to our research. Despite this overwhelming presence of SMEs within the trade finance space, I do think that as an industry, there is often much underrepresentation of SME companies and there's also not enough of education to go around for them. And they often do find it quite challenging to access trade finance in the ways that they possibly may be able to with further education. Because of this disproportionately affected ratio due to different hurdles for them, whether it be regulation, compliance issues, or kind of costs, we try to create a guide to help them manage and make their way through quite a complicated sector. It was our hope that by releasing this guide, it would help them along. And this is, again, another thing that we try and do, not just in the year of 2022, not just the month of July, but kind of moving on forwards. Shameless plug here, TTFG launch guide on trade finance with UK Export Finance and the Department for International Trade, all available for free on our, our website and, and also a guide with Google for exporters looking to grow their e-commerce potential overseas. I think also the non-tariff barriers are mm. probably one to point out because there's loads of evidence. I think Allianz Trade released something saying that could, reducing non tariff barriers to trade could help lower inflation by over four and a half percent in the EU, which is quite something. So uh, I think there's lots of work to be done both in the international trade, navigating trade and trade barriers or non-tariff barriers, but also signposting and provision of finance itself. I think that leads us nicely into credit insurance, which is, as some people in the media have termed, the umbrella that doesn't open when it rains. That's completely wrong. I think Richard Wolf might thank yeah. you. For we did a, a very interesting webinar speaking to industry leaders who were adamant to dispel the sentiment that trade credit insurance is, is just an umbrella that doesn't open and when it rains. And actually, if you look at the real figures on performance or payouts for non-performance. It does work and it has worked. It's, it's really been a tool that banks and corporates use for credit risk mitigation and also for capital reliefs. And obviously in a year where there's been ample risk, whether that be political or in terms of just the fallout of COVID-19, there has been enough lots to go around. So that was definitely one of the key themes of our discussion around credit insurance in the trade finance space. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
Annie, what happened in October? Well, what didn't happen in October? Cybos? Yeah, well, apart from our lovely experience at Cybos, EBLs were one of the biggest points of discussion. I think it's been a long time coming. There's a few names in the business that are quite for the EBL adoption or the uptake of it. And so what are EBLs? So electronic bills of lading. As we know, I think a lot of people still cling to the fact that trade finance is, is a very old business, but it's and it kind of reflects that in its traditionality and its arcane legal frameworks and its arcane sort of practical realities of going through the motions of getting a piece of goods from A to B. But moving forward, I think, and what COVID-19 really showed us is that we as an industry are very, very reliant on paper. We're very reliant on processes that aren't really that efficient. And what electronic bills of lading will do is allow for the easier access to bills of lading as people would need them often throughout the trade finance process. And for us in the UK, it was a really big moment because it was the first time it was introduced into Parliament. It's going moving through as we speak and there is talk of it being enacted in 2023. Early 2023. Early 2023. Yeah. There are countries that have taken it actually under their wing. I think Singapore is one. Feel free to jump in with yeah, the others. Yeah, a few others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving on to November, I think the global payments landscape did see some advances. And I think there was a real focus on this towards the end of this year, right? Definitely on the back of a lot of conversations we had at Cybos as well. I think people casting an eye backwards into the year and what had come before, especially given the fact that we were coming out of that COVID haze and to see what COVID had actually done in ameliorating and accelerating efficient and frictionless payment processes throughout the world. I think it's really interesting when you look at payments because there's quite a clear divide between what a high value payment will look like and how digitizing of payments helps in that regard. And then also on the flip side of the coin, what low value payments looks like and how that can help in emerging markets and in, especially in small businesses in countries that are considered to be emerging markets, you know, on the ground, what does that look like? How am I as a small company assured that I will be getting this transaction across on the weekend, 24 seven payments, you know, that's not been around for that long. And what does that look like on a day to day? And that caught me between high value payments and low value payments and what is necessary for both. I think those conversations are really important to be having and looking forward to continue to have them. Thanks, Annie. And I guess not to end this on a total low, we should talk about the looming recession, as many have predicted or state that the EU is now in a recession, the US is likely to follow. And I think it's important to look at the impacts that this will have on lending appetite to SMEs all around the world. It's also important to understand what that means for global trade where the trade might slow down as a result, and also the different roles that different industry players will have to play their part. And, and actually, if you look back, I think I'm referring to one of Peter Mulroy's previous predictions articles, but um, in terms of the uh, interest rates and the fact that we're in a recession, lending tends to be, or rather trade finance lending tends to be counter-cyclical to what's going on in the economy. So I think we could actually see a bit of a resurgence in trade finance volumes, particularly multilateral support. We've got to remember trade is a, a force for economic growth. It helps bring nations out of poverty. It helps markets become more competitive and it helps us towards a more inclusive economic system. So I think based on that for 2023 and given all the work we've done as an industry on standardization, trade technology, partnership, 
and also the legal framework for enabling that. I think we've got to be a bit optimistic about 2023, right? In all walks of life and in in all sectors, there'll be a a bit of reticence, there'll be a bit of clutching to purses and stuff like that. But I do think that, as you mentioned, it is traditionally a counter-cyclical industry. There is room for cautious optimism. I don't doubt that it will be a year for good and for bad. And those next steps into 2023, I think we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And having spoken to quite a few industry experts over the last few weeks, really, summarizing 2022 and talking about what people are planning to do in in 2023 i think partnership is a real key theme because that drives strength focusing on the business model i.e., focusing on the bottom line what's actually driving revenue because that's sustainable for the future of the business talking of sustainability sustainability and esg really are at the crux of a lot of business priorities it's number one on the agenda for most major banks corporates and organizations and really we've got to remember that trade accounts for something like 80 percent of yeah. global carbon emissions so for the fact that i don't think trade was really mentioned enough in the cop 27 talks yeah i think we as an industry need to figure out how we're going to kind of navigate through that. But I do think it's a good sign that, I mean, on the back of our talks with City, with Standard Chartered, I mean, these big banks and big names in the industry, they're really putting an active step forward towards kind of net zero by 2030, all these massive initiatives that are really, and I think what that shows for other market players is that if these big names are doing it, then why aren't you? I think we all need to come together in order to make it a more sustainable industry because I think we can. Yeah, and I actually think from the big global banks to even the smaller regional correspondent banks, I mean, Africa has been touted as is sustainability and ESG the Mm -hmm. answer to opening up and increasing access to trade finance in African markets. I think there's a really interesting tool that can help accelerate that transition. So there we go, 12 themes for 2022 in probably around 24 minutes or so. (laughs) So uh, was that okay? Short and sweet. Short and sweet, short and sweet. Well, Thank you very much, Annie, and uh, goodbye to the trade finance industry and season's greetings to everyone. And we will see you in the new year. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.